Hey, animal lovers. I'm Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and I host a comedy educational podcast called Creature Feature. We'll delve into some of the most unbelievable animal and human behaviors. On season two of Creature Feature, I'm joined by guest comedians and scientists as we dive into the minds of some of the craziest creatures evolution has ever spawned and see the world from their eight eyes. Every Wednesday, we'll discover some freaks of nature like the critter that cries blood and the aquatic transformer that eats its own brain. As we explore the fantastical animal world, we'll also look inside ourselves and learn what it means to be humans and whether we're really that different from our hairier cousins. Listen to Creature Future and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's start from the beginning. Okay. I was a young girl. I was 11 years old. And my parents had just divorced. And my dad was now living with his girlfriend in Portland, Oregon. And this was my first summer vacation where I stayed at a different home than my my childhood home. And the moment I walked in that house, I felt like I wasn't alone, that there was energy there, that there were spirits there, that I was being watched in every room, in every room. He had purchased bunk beds for my sister and I, and my sister picked the bottom bunk, and I picked the the top bunk. And it was my first night in this new house. I fall asleep a little bit, but then I'm awakened by being touched. And then my hair is touched. It's not a heavy touch, it's a light touch. So I leap and go down the little stairs of the bunk bed and I rush over and I'm gonna go run into my dad's room, but I froze. I felt that whatever was touching me was over there too. I wasn't going to be safe in my dad's room and I didn't feel safe with my dad. And so I laid on the, in the hallway floor with the light on, curled up in a ball, hoping that the night would just go away fast. And in the morning, my dad stepped over me and he said, why did you fall asleep in the hallway? And I said, I was being touched, dad. Something was touching me. And he said, oh, don't pay any attention to them. They bother me all the time at night. Don't pay them any mind. Melissa, who is your dad, and what is he known as? My father is Keith Hunter Jesperson. He's known as the Happy Face Serial Killer. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? In the pines, in the pines, where the sun don't ever shine, I will shiver the whole night through. My name is Lauren Bright Pacheco. I'm a television producer, and I've worked with Melissa Jesperson Moore for about four years. 
We work on crime stories together, and we travel a lot. And during our downtime, we've had the chance to really get to know one another. And she shared a lot with me about her past, especially her childhood. My childhood home was amazing. My parents had three children together. I'm the oldest. A year later, my brother was born, and then two years after my brother, my sister Carrie was born. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my father was a long-haul truck driver. I felt loved. I felt provided for. I felt adored. But I actually felt like I was a superstar. Melissa, how big are you? This big? Yes, real big. Can you dance? Can you dance, Melissa? You dance. Yes, you're a good dancer. We lived in the country, and when I would hear the semi-truck pull up and you could hear the, the wheels on the gravel and you just knew, you knew, you, you could easily recognize that sound. The window panes would actually shake because of the size and the rumble of his engine. So we would just bolt. My brother and my sister and I would actually race to get to my dad to see who could get into his pockets first because in his pockets were tons of change and and tokens and things from his trips. And so it was like a competition who could get get dad's change. And, And that was our first encounter with him. And he'd pick us up and he would throw us in the air and play with us and be excited to see us. He would be just as excited to see us as we were excited to see him. Everybody thinks their, you know, their dad is the center of the universe. But your dad, how did you feel being placed up on his shoulders? I love the view that I could see so much more. And I felt that I was absolutely safe and that anything was possible and that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And that was safe in the arms with my dad. He was six foot six and close to 300 pounds. His size was something that the first thing you notice, how you feel so small in comparison. Keith was this huge, giant man, even to adults. So for a child, he must have seemed even that much more enormous. And when Melissa talks about him, she has this reverence, this almost mythological lens that she views him through. I felt like my dad was a superhero because he was so large and he could actually eclipse the sun with his with his head. Like he just, his body, like the sun would just like beam behind him and he could just eclipse the sun. Phil Stanford, the Oregonian, May 22nd, 1994. The letter unsigned and written on pale blue paper, has a happy face at the top of the first page. Two tiny circles for eyes, an upturned sliver of a moon for mouth. Have a nice day. All five of five, it says next to the cartoon face. However, the letter is six pages long, so what does that mean? Five what? Five murders, that's what. 
Rothy's are the everyday flats for life on the go. They're stylish, comfortable, and go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts. They've quickly become a most-loved, gotta-have-them brand, thanks to their wide range of colors and patterns, with new ones launching constantly. And there's zero break-in period. Since Rothy's are crafted using 3D knitting techniques and hand assembly, their seamless design means right-out-of-the-box comfort. Best of all, they're made from recycled plastic water bottles. That's right. Over 25 million water bottles have been diverted from landfills to make these gorgeous and sustainable shoes. Another major bonus? They're fully machine washable, so your pair will be fresh and ready every laundry day. Plus, Rothy's always come with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. There's no risk and no reason not to try. You'll quickly discover why BuzzFeed called them their forever shoes. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com iHeart. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash iHeart today. Melissa agreed to go on the road with me and our producer, Noel, and revisit the places from her past that have incredible significance, both good and bad, to her today. And one of those places was Spokane, Washington, where she moved with her mother and siblings after her parents' divorce. I haven't been to Spokane for a long time, but whenever I come back here, I think about the first time I came here back in 1990. My dad was home for the weekend, and we had a great weekend. We were really close, and it was a, like a normal weekend. And then it was time for my mom to drop off my dad at the truck station. And on the way to the truck station, to his, his offices, it, there was just this tension in the air, and there was something obviously going on between my parents, my mom and my dad. at my dad's work, he got out of the car and acted like he was never going to see us again. He hugged us super tight, said how much he loves us, and was just gripping us like it was his last time ever holding us. When I saw him walk away and go to his job, my brother and sister and I got back in the car and my mom was silent until we were about a block away from the house, she said, when we go into the house, I need you to pick one thing, your favorite thing. We drove there because we were going to meet her mom, Rose, who we met at work. I'm excited to see her. Yeah, I'm glad that you're gonna meet her. She's a caseworker at First Salvation Army where she helps families who are on the streets transition to having a life off the streets. And so these are children that have lived in cars. These are children that have nothing, very similar to what I had and what she had. I wonder if she has a picture of me in her office. <laughs> I think she might be coming out. They hadn't seen each other in a few years, but you could definitely hear the warmth and the pride and the love in Melissa's voice 
when she described her to us. You know what you'll find that about my mom is she's a very nurturing, soft person that you could tell anything to. So non-judgmental. Hello! Hey, Skinny! Oh my gosh, you're getting smaller. Oh. <laughs> my office is over here. Meeting Melissa's mom in person, I was really taken aback by the fact that they don't look alike. Melissa's always told me that she looks just like her father, and I never saw it until I met her mom. Oh, look at there's a picture of me. She oh, absolutely looks like her father. I was flying down here, mm -hmm. I was thinking about what your experience must have been like because when we came here, it was after you and dad separated. Mm -hmm. I remember just, you know, leaving and coming here mm -hmm. without planning. Right. That's what it felt like it wasn't planned. You're correct, it wasn't. What happened? Well, it was um, our 13th wedding anniversary and I was expecting a bouquet of flowers and he said, you know, I think we should just get a divorce. He said, would you mind just leaving? And were you happy at any point with him? I think at the very beginning, we had a lot of fun. And we would we'd take a month off and we'd travel down um, I-5 all the way down California along the beaches or, you know. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd take a month off, go to Lake Powell. Um, we'd go to Canada. Oh, he had a Golden Wing motorcycle and we went all through Canada traveling through uh, Lethbridge and Alberta. And he was a good provider. He really was. And you probably felt really financially stable. I felt, I felt safe. And then I had you and then um, things changed. I would like to tell my story. The writer of the letter begins, the exclamation point is all his. So is the labored printing and the odd mixture of capital and lowercase letters. On or about January 20th, 1990, I picked up Sonia Bennett and I took her home. I raped her and beat her real bad. Then I ended her life by pushing my fist into her throat. My dad would show up into town. He didn't get a hotel. He would stay at our home, my mom's home. And even when she was with her new boyfriend, who became her husband, my dad would stay in the house with him in the house as well. The reward of him coming was he's filling the pantry. He's helping her. She was a single mom. She was a sole provider for months on end. And here he comes into town. She's going to take any reprieve she can get, you know. area right here is where um, when my dad would come to visit uh, we'd drive past this road right here but this used to be all open fields like this and um, at the end here was a, is a Safeway where we would go and get groceries so my, when my dad would come into town he would actually take us three kids to this grocery store and just let us pick anything we wanted and one thing that he constantly picked was just like he would get these huge five gallon tubs of ice cream and then he would get these uh he would get like a couple packages of bacon he would make not like one package of bacon at a time he would make like five packages of bacon at a time so when he came he was a source of all 
I had a girl that I used to hang out with, uh, Tamara, and she lived right here in this house. The white one? Uh Uh-huh. And what happened was she lost her jacket, and she accused me of stealing her jacket. And you know, in the Jesperson household, we don't steal. Like, that is, like, something, is a code of honor. You don't steal. And so I told my dad that her parents think I'm a thief and that I stole her coat. So he walked over there and confronted her parents. And I was so nervous because he was so aggressive. I was just terrified of what he was going to do to the, to um, her parents. And he explained how I didn't steal that jacket. And he pretty much, I don't know, remember exactly what he said, but he really terrified her parents. So much so that she never came back to my house. But there's something about the letter that holds you, that makes you keep reading. Maybe it's the urgency of the prose itself. Maybe, although you might not want to admit it, it's the lurid details spilling off the pages like cold sewage. Maybe the writer, whoever he is, is making it all up. But if so, you have to wonder what kind of person would even be able to write something like this. This turned me on. I got high. Then the panic set in. Where to put the body? First, he says, he drove to the Sandy River and threw Tanya Bennett's purse and Walkman into the water. Then he drove back home and dragged the body out to his car. I want the world to know that it was my crime, so I tied a one-half-inch soft white rope around her neck. I drove her to a switchback on the scenic road about one and one-half miles east of Lateral Falls. I dragged her downhill. Her pants were around her knees because I had cut her buttons off. You know, Happy Face is on one side of the coin. He's he's a loving family man, and he's a good friend, and he's he's a good provider. He's everything that you know as a child you want for a dad. And then on the other side of the coin, he is everything that scares you, everything that could hurt you. He goes from protector to predator. And and wrapping my mind around it is impossible. Here at KiwiCo, we design and deliver hands-on projects for kids, the next generation of innovators. I started KiwiCo because I wanted my kids to see themselves as creative problem solvers and makers. And as a parent, I know it can be tough to come up with ways to foster creativity and learning and encourage new discoveries. KiwiCo delivers super cool hands-on projects for kids every month. Projects like science experiments, engineering challenges, and art and design techniques that make learning seriously fun and engaging. Each one is designed by experts and tested by kids. We offer seven different lines for kids, ranging from baby through teen, so there's a perfect one for every kid in your life. With KiwiCo, your child is empowered to not just make a project, but to make a difference. 
To learn more, go to KiwiCo.com slash iHeart, and you can receive your first crate for free. Again, that's KiwiCo.com slash iHeart. to notice a shift in the household probably about when I was in kindergarten, first grade. Things started to change in the household. Uh, my mom seemed more withdrawn. And I imagine her being isolated in a house with three young children must have been difficult for her and my father being gone. But when he would come home, there seemed to be a distance between my mom and my dad physically as well. I didn't witness them hugging or being affectionate with one another. I actually don't even recall kissing. I can't even remember if they even kissed each other when they greeted each other. Now looking back, I see the dynamic between my parents and recalling how critical and degrading he was to her, to my mother. He would put her down for driving. He embarrassed her. He told her all the time about what a horrible housekeeper she was. He complained about her food. He complained about her weight. Everything my mother did was wrong. I was never thin enough or I was too fat, you know, or if I ate dinner, oh God forbid if I ate dinner. As a kid, when I was alone with my father, he would bring up that he constantly felt sexually rejected, and he would say that my mom would tell him to go put it in a keyhole. So what was your father thinking, talking about his sex life with his child? My father's sex life was always a part of the conversation. I heard it with his friends. I heard it in the flirtation and the sexual harassment of waitresses. I heard it having to hear him tell me these details about their sex life. I never asked my father. It was just part of the conversation constantly. I knew that my father was a very sexual man from a young age. I recall finding hustlers and playboys all around, like, all around the house. And when I would go to the truck stops, I would see his offices were lit, like, just covered in nude calendars. So nude women and pornography was always a part of my childhood. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. When Bennett's body was found, actually about a mile west of Lateral Falls and a mile and a half east of the Vista House, there was a rope around her neck. Did you sleep night? In addition, as the police reports indicate, the button fly of Bennett's jeans had been cut away.
letter continues. She was my first, and I thought I would not do it again. But I was wrong. It was clear that Keith had no filter um, for what was appropriate to say or do in front of his kids. And many of his other impulses were even darker, and he acted upon them. I remember there was a weekend that my dad was back home and he from one of his long hauls, and there was a barrel... Um, a rusty barrel that he was burning um, shrubbery and and old debris from the yard, and he was cleaning the yard. And uh, we had this barn, and behind the barn, I saw my brother, and he had a black cat. And I remember how dark the cat's fur was because it was so shiny. It looked silvery, like almost like glass from the sun hitting the cat's back, hitting the fur. And so I saw my brother just petting this black cat and how slick and, and pretty the cat looked. And I wanted to touch this cat, too. I wanted to pet. And so I went up to my brother, and I sat next to him behind the barn, and I started petting the cat with him. And quickly I noticed that my dad had witnessed me petting the cat with my brother. And at this point, the cat is still in my brother's lap, and then my dad approaches us, he walks up to us, and he says, what do you have there? I remember my dad sitting down to the other side of Jason and taking the cat in his, in his lap, and he started petting the cat. And both my brother and I were tense. I could, we could feel like something's, something's wrong because we knew my dad hated cats, absolutely hated them. So for my dad to be sitting next to my brother petting this cat was was odd that he would be lovingly petting a cat. And quickly he was, I remember his big hand just like engulfing the whole cat. And then all of a sudden with one hand, he pinned the head down and grabbed it with the other hand and he just started squeezing the cat's neck. And then the cat started to like, screech and to and to scream and started clawing for its life um, on my dad's forearms and just was clawing and I was th- and my brother and I were screaming and we're like stop it dad stop it dad like why are you doing this dad why are you doing this and just screaming at him to try to like stop it Like, it just, it it made me so nauseous. Like, it just made me... How old would you and Jason have been? We were young. My brother and I were young. We were six, seven years old. I don't recall telling my mom. I don't recall telling anybody. And, And the reason why is it's just like when it came to my father there was just this thing that people said in the family. They would say, oh, that's just Keith. That's just how Keith is. And it seemed to be acceptable. Keith Jesperson takes steps toward a court appearance 
he's tried to avoid for years. As well as an order and a plea of no contest to the aggravated murder count. After prosecutors read off the charges and with the victim's family looking on, Jesperson gave grisly details of how in 1990 he killed 23-year-old Tanya Bennett in his apartment. And forced my fist into her throat and, uh, and later grabbed the rope and tied it around her neck securely and uh, she was dead. You know, I slept in the hallway that one night. The second night, I slept on the couch and kept the TV on so I'd have light. And as I laid on the couch, I looked at the ceiling and I saw markings on the ceiling of some kind of splatter. And then as I was laying there, the cabinet doors in the kitchen were opening and closing. And I remember touching my eyes and rubbing my eyes, thinking I must be seeing things. But I would hear it too, they would open and they would close. Jesperson says he left the body in the Columbia Gorge, then cleaned up his house. Washed the uh, carpet, I washed the blood off the walls, what I could, and eventually painted the walls of the uh, house I was in. And uh, tried to forget about it. I would later discover that in that very room where I was laying down was where he he murdered Tanya Bennett in the most gruesome and brutal way possible. And that now I look back and think, was that blood that I saw? And I believe it was. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? Happy Faces, a production of How Stuff Works. Executive producers are Melissa Moore, Lauren Bright Pacheco, Mangesha Ticketer, and Will Pearson. Supervising producer is Noel Brown. Music by Claire Campbell, Paige Campbell, and Hope for a Golden Summer. Story editor is Matt Riddle. Audio editing by Chandler Mays and Noel Brown. Assistant editor is Taylor Chicoin. Special thanks to Phil Stanford, the publishers of the Oregonian newspaper, and KATU News in Portland, Oregon. I'm going where the cold wind blows. Throughout history, people have been denounced for dissenting from the majority. But that didn't stop them from speaking up. Unpopular is about resistors, rebels, and revolutionaries. People like Sitting Bull, Fumalayo Ransom Kuti, and Galileo took a chance on what they believed in and inspired real change. Every week on Unpopular, we'll tell the story of someone who challenged the status quo, connecting the dots between their history and the history we're making today. Unpopular drops every Tuesday. You can listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered, how do the smartest marketers cut through the noise? I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. And on my new show, Math & Magic, 
I'm sitting down with the day's most gifted disruptors. When I did this, people thought I was crazy. There are really no other rules aside from, you know, no full frontal nudity. Go out there and do it. I don't like to follow the trend of things. Listen and subscribe to Math & Magic on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.